The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than... I told you they were nicking his trade last week. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciple had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Uh, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Um... I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, who speak to you, am he. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your words to us this morning. We thank you for this passage of scripture. Lord, we pray this morning that although it might be familiar to us, that you would speak words of life to us this morning. Speak to our hearts, I pray. And Lord, give us ears to hear all that it is you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. In a sense, it's quite a challenge preaching from a passage which is so familiar. (laughs) Because if you're anything like you me, you've, you've probably heard all sorts of teaching on this. And um, and so when I was um, thinking about what I was going to say at the beginning of the week, I, I really was, Lord, what, what do you want to say? 
what what is fresh what are you saying to us through this and actually he's really challenged me this week about the state of my heart and what what he's calling us to corporately and i think i do think there's there is so much we can learn from what is in many ways a very straightforward account and um so i we've already touched a bit on the background but i just want to start by giving a bit of the background because i think that helps to put the whole thing in context so obviously we begin with jesus traveling with his disciples from judea to galilee passing through samaria and they go through samaria because it's the shortest route actually it's they're walking and it's and it's the quickest route however the very fact they chose that route is, is quite extraordinary because, as Laurie already said, the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And I'm not overstating it. The Samaritans were a mixed race people, part Jew and part Gentile. And, and that is why they were despised, literally despised by the Jewish race. And they were avoided and they were shunned. And so the very fact that they went this way was completely countercultural. And I love that. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And although it may not be immediately apparent, the woman, the Samaritan woman, was also an outcast in her own society. The, um, the passage talks about her coming to the well at the sixth hour, which was like noon, basically. It was the, it was the heat of the day, and it wasn't when people came to the well. Most people would have been resting because it was really hot. And the rest of the women from the village would come to the well to draw their water either morning or evening. One, when it was cooler, but also they would have come together. That was part of their community thing. They would have come, they would have chatted to one another. It was a really significant part of their day. And this woman came alone and she was ostracized because she was unmarried and living with another man. And, and that made her an outcast in her own society. And so she probably would have chosen to come because she didn't want to subject herself to the hatred and abuse that would have come her way. And so it is, it is utterly extraordinary that Jesus would have chosen to talk to her chosen he chose to talk to her this was no chance encounter and it would have been so so shocking for him to do so and we we lose that as we read the passage i think we we can very easily lose the fact that this was a really shocking thing to do the fact that she was a woman and a samaritan and immoral actually and he asked her for a drink of water, knowing that drinking from the vessel that was hers would have made him ceremonially unclean as well. So it was shocking on four levels. No good Jewish rabbi would ever, ever, ever have done that. And it would have given most Jews absolute apoplexy, to be honest, if they'd seen him do that. And even the woman herself was surprised, wasn't she? She says to Jesus, what do you want to talk to me for? I'm a Samaritan woman. But I love that. I absolutely love that because, because that's what Jesus has done for us, if you think about it. And it's what he continues to do. He actively seeks us and pursues us. 
And that's what he was doing for this woman. In fact, when Laurie read that last verse, when Jesus said, I am he, I wanted to cry because it moves me now that he pursues us to the ends of the earth. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. He pursues us. He pursued us when we were still sinners. And he welcomes us into intimacy with him, no matter who we are, what we've done, what our background is. He loves us. That's the bottom line. So if you hear nothing else today, hear that. Jesus is actively pursuing you for intimacy. And it's amazing. And so for the woman, I think for the woman to be to be wanted, to be cared for, when she was rejected by most people, when when no one else, not even herself, could see anything of value in her. For Jesus to show interest in her is absolutely a beautiful thing. It's grace, isn't it? That's what it is. And it's the nature of God. And that moves me so much just to to see that that is the nature of God. He sees value in every single one of us, even if we disqualify ourselves for all sorts of reasons. And trust me, we all do. (laughs) We all do for whatever reason. We're either not clever enough or pretty enough or tall enough or whatever it is, we disqualify ourselves. Jesus doesn't. He sees value in every single one of us. Our value took him to the cross. Our individual value took him to the cross. And I think we can be so quick to condemn ourselves. We know our behavior is wrong sometimes. We know we we react badly to situations. We end up in an argument when we don't want to. We lose our patience. And whatever it is, I think it's, maybe this is just me, but I think we can end up feeling pretty rubbish about ourselves. And we can kind of spiral into this negativity. But it doesn't phase Jesus. That's what's so lovely. It doesn't phase him. Our sin actually doesn't phase Jesus. It might phase us, but it doesn't phase God. Jesus sees the sin in her heart. He knows. He knows. She doesn't have to tell him that she's had all these husbands and she's with another man now because he knows. That's what he's doing. He's he's actually very gently calling her on it, exposing the truth, but without any condemnation. And in fact, we didn't we didn't read this bit. But if we if we go on a bit in chapter four, she goes back to the town and she says to the people there. She goes and talks to the people in the town. She says. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. You know, you're not going to say that if you're still absolutely bound up by shame, are you? It's beautiful. Because Jesus comes offering her eternal life. Offering her identity, forgiveness and eternal life. And his desire is always to reconcile us to the Father. He draws us in so lovingly. And without any condemnation. And we, I I kind of feel like we so need to remember that. When we feel we've screwed up for the umpteenth time, that's us. That's not the Lord. He just says, come, come to me. It's an invitation. It's a, a permanent invitation to come to him. And actually, we need to share testimony as well. Again, if if you read on in the chapter to the end of the chapter, or towards the end. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. It's like Gabby inviting her friend Sophie, isn't it? 
it bears fruit. Oh my goodness, it bears fruit. And in fact, finding people who were genuinely thirsty for the living water that he offered, Jesus ended up staying on. So not only was he willing to go to a place that most Jews wouldn't set foot in, not only was he willing to talk to somebody that everybody else would have been shocked by, he ended up staying on there for another two days. And verse 41 says, and because of his words, many more became believers. I love that. And it all starts with this woman. This woman who is nothing, meets Jesus, meets the Messiah, tells people, and look at what happens. There's so much fruit. I love it. But in a way, everything I've just said is kind of the introduction. (laughs) Because that's not what I want to kind of focus on. What I really want to focus on, because this is what's been challenging me, is this, is this thing about living water. When Jesus first meets her, he says, I have living water to offer you. If you drink from the living water, you will never be thirsty again. And of course, the Samaritan woman doesn't understand initially, because she doesn't, she doesn't understand what he means by living water. But what's been challenging me this week is actually how thirsty am I? And I've been asking that question. The thing about water, I, you know, I meant to bring a jug of water and I forgot. Just imagine I've got a jug of water in a bowl. If you pour water into a vessel and you keep pouring, it doesn't automatically stop when it gets to the top, does it? It overflows. Yeah? That's the nature of water. If you don't turn the taps off when you run a bath, you'll flood your bathroom. <laughs> And that's, that's the nature of water, because water will overflow, it continues to run. And the same, I think, is true of God's living water. There's, there's always more. It doesn't just stop. We're the, we're the ones who stop drinking. There's always, always more. There's always, we always have the capacity to receive so much more than we, than we actually receive, I think. And I can think of, I can think of so many situations, so many situations on an ongoing basis where I might feel dry or empty. And the fault is not with the living water. That's the thing. Because even though I know here in my head that all the resources of heaven are available to me, and a more than I ever need, I'm not taking hold of them. The, the question is not whether God will supply, but whether we will drink. That's the thing. The real question is, how thirsty are you? How thirsty am I? And sometimes I'm not thirsty enough. I know that. I can stand here and say, I'm not thirsty enough. And I think when God, God speaks to us, it's not only for our own personal benefit. We are called to be community. We are body. We are the body of Christ. And so when God speaks, when he pours out his living water, it's not just to bless you and me. It's to bless our community. The overflow is designed to bless our community. Not just the 3% or whatever who are believers. 
we are called to be a blessing. That's, I think, what the overflow is supposed to look like. It is really, it's really challenged me this week. Because in this context, overflow is always good. It's not like when you flood your bathroom. That's not good. When the living water overflows through us, that's always, always good. Because we carry favor. We, we carry life in abundance. We carry glory. You know, slightly corny phrases possibly. But we're designed to overflow with that stuff so that our community sees it as well. And we see it in each other. Because I think sometimes our presence within the community doesn't bless those around us because we're not overflowing with the living water and with, with God's life in the way that we're designed to. Look at the Samaritan community. Many, many more believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. That's what overflow is designed to look like. If you, we, again, we haven't read this this morning, but John chapter 7. I'm going to go on to John chapter 7 just for a couple of verses. Where am I? John chapter 7, 37 and 38. Jesus is in the temple and it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. I think that means he shouted, actually. He shouted, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. It's a promise. It's not an optional extra for us. It's a promise that streams of living water will overflow from us. That's our original design as individuals and as a body. And the fact he said it in a loud voice, I mean, even that is countercultural. It's like one of us standing and shouting, are you thirsty? We don't do it because we feel a bit daft. We don't offer the living water because we feel a bit daft. Jesus would have cut across what was going on there. Absolutely. And dare I say, it cuts across our religious sensibilities. I know, I, I'm the first to say I'm shut down. I'm worried about what people think of me. I, I kind of think I have to be respectable and be seen to be whatever it is, acceptable to society. <laughs> but you know what? That's not really overflowing. That's about bending in and blending in with the culture so that we don't offend. And the whole political correctness thing has just gone too far. I only heard this morning that some Christian charities are basically being persecuted, I guess, for proselytizing in their ministry because it's no longer okay to tell people that Jesus is the only way to God. But we have to. We cannot afford to bend in. We just can't. And I think the word that sums this up is are we passionate? Where is our passion? I know I'm not that passionate sometimes. It gets shut down. And Lord, I'm sorry where that's true. But that's the call. We need to be passionate about the living water that changes lives. 
Because I think drinking deeply and overflowing has nothing to do with being sane and moderate. I wish it did. (laughs) But it doesn't. (laughs) And being sensible, sensible in inverted commas, is often the thing that stops us drinking deeply. It stops us pouring out. And yet... God loves it when there is both inflow and outflow. The living water is supposed to come in and flow out. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's got a, there's got to be a flow. That's the nature of water. That's what I was talking about just now. We're designed to drink in order to pour out. So Lord, make us thirsty. Make us so thirsty. And I think that part of the problem is we're not all that good at receiving in the first place, in general terms. You know, if someone compliments you, somebody, I was sitting on the tube last night. I mean, talk about multicultural, I wasn't going to say this, but we we were in London yesterday. And nine times out of ten, the conversations that were around us were not in English. So what? But we were sitting on the tube last night and we it was busy. So Laurie and I weren't sat together. And there was a lady opposite me and she got up to get off at a station before us. And she said something to me. And I was so shocked that I didn't register. And she had to say it again. She said, I was wearing purple trousers. And she said, I love your pants. They're such a great color. <laughs> and I thought, I was so not expecting it because it, it's so not the norm, is it? And she was American. <laughs> but... You know, part of me went, oh, don't talk to me. I'm on the tube. <laughs> That's what we're like. We don't receive easily or well. And if someone compliments, we just go, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. We, we just, it makes us squirm when we're the center of attention. Not everybody, but for those of us who tend to be slightly more introvert, it can make us squirm. And if we think that everyone's looking at us, we get uncomfortable. Yeah. You're all looking at me now. <laughs> I'm all right at the moment. <laughs> but actually, normally, our reaction is to try and get the focus onto somebody else, isn't it? We don't, we don't generally like it. And we can feel embarrassed or uncomfortable when someone's pouring good stuff over us because we're not used to it. And I'm sure that must affect how well we are able to receive from the Lord. Because our default is to deflect. And that stops us being thirsty. And I think it stops us receiving from heaven. You know, if we've fallen over under the weight of the Spirit when we've been prayed for, how easy is it, as soon as we're able to, to jump up? Because actually to stay laid out with people stepping over us, if we're aware of it, is acutely embarrassing. You only stay there if you're so, so unaware of what's going on. As soon as you become aware, you don't choose to stay and soak what God is doing. You choose to jump up and go and sit on your seat very quickly. Thank you very much, because I feel a complete twit. (laughs) And I think that stops us drinking. I really do. Now, I I know it, it bothers some people more than others, but I think there is something in this for all of us that our, 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 I don't know if in this is the right word. I was going to say our British reserve. Our reserve, wherever we're from, gets in the way when we start to feel a bit silly. And that affects how thirsty we are. Because what I'm realizing is that being really thirsty and drinking deeply and then pouring out might actually make us look a bit silly. 
and that doesn't sit well. <laughs> it's a, in a way, it's a bit like if you drive a car and your, your fuel light comes on and it says you're empty, how many of you would go to the garage, put in a gallon or a couple of litres and then keep driving? And then your fuel light comes on again after a few miles, so you pull into the next garage, you top up a little tiny bit and then you keep going. And I think that's what we do in our Christian life. I don't think we stop and get filled up. I know we're full of the Holy Spirit. We are, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence and we have the whole of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not saying this is different. This is about how thirsty we are for the living water, which is a slightly different thing because I think God wants to fill us more and more and more in our experience. And we're so used to running on empty with the fuel light on that we just don't recognize that we need to be filled up again. We're so good at relying on our own strength and self-sufficiency that we forget we need to rely on the Lord in all these things. And we miss being filled up because if we're used to it, we're not thirsty. We don't feel thirsty. I remember a medical person once said, if you get to the point where you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrating. We actually need to drink before we even feel thirsty. If that's true in the natural, how much more true is that spiritually? We have to keep coming back to the Lord, asking for more. It's, we don't even want to do that, do we? It's like, is it Oliver Twist? More, please. Lord, give us more. Give us more. Give us more. We're thirsty. That's what we want. But our normal way of life is just to carry on until we hit a problem or we're in our normal quiet time, and then we ask. We don't stop every 30 minutes, every hour, and say, Lord, I need more of you right now. I'm sitting at my desk, or I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Lord, I need more of you now. At the end of the day, it's, it's our choice. It's our choice to choose how much we drink, how often we drink. God doesn't force himself on us. Jesus didn't force himself on the Samaritan woman. She absolutely had a choice. She could have got up and walked away. She didn't have to go and tell anybody else. She could have gone back to her life, away from the rest of the community, feeling rubbish. But she chose to accept what Jesus was offering, and she chose to drink. And I think we we need to just keep on saying, Lord, I'm thirsty. Please fill me up some more. I even thought about setting an alarm on my phone every hour and I thought, actually, when I'm in the office, that might be a bit irritating. But something to go, to remind me to just ask the Lord for another drink just throughout my normal day. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, I think in the NIV it says, be filled with the Spirit. Actually, what what it really says is go on being filled. Paul got it. We have been filled with the Spirit, but we need to go on. It's the present continuous, I think. I'm looking at Kathy. I'm getting a thumbs up from my husband. (laughs) It's the present continuous. Go on being filled with the Spirit. So that's what we need to say this morning. We need to pray, Lord, make me more thirsty for you so that I overflow.